Well, church, if you have your Bibles, open them to 1 Timothy chapter 1 for a message entitled, Overflowing Grace. So as you know, we started in the book of 1 Timothy last week. This is Paul. He's just given so much wisdom. We saw that last week, and he is writing to Timothy. Timothy is a leader in the church at Ephesus. And so what we seek to do as the church at Russellville is to find out what Paul, by the power of the Holy Spirit, was talking to and teaching Timothy. And we want that to also to apply to our church as well. But before we get started, let's go to the author. The reason why we go to the author is we want to be able to understand what's being said. These are spiritual things. And so the Bible says that the Holy Spirit lives within inside the Christian, God the Holy Spirit, and is able to teach us and help us to understand the scriptures and also apply them to our lives. And so we're going to learn what God has for us, but then we're also going to ask the Lord to help us to have the power so when we leave here that we can actually do the things that God calls us to do. And so the Bible says that we have not because we ask not, and we don't want to fall into that. We want to ask. And so as I'm praying, I do want you to agree with me in prayer. So if I say something that you agree with in your own heart, say, Lord, yes, that's what, that's what I want for my life. That's what I want for my son and my daughter's life and my husband and my wife's life. That's what I want for our church. So let's pray. Father, you are so good to us. Your, your grace is overflowing. And first... I just ask on the behalf of all of us that we would be able to rest in the finished work of the cross. That you have paid the penalty for all of our sin. Lord, things in our past that... Lord, we are ashamed of. Lord, as we look at Paul's life and what you've saved him from, Lord, let us be convinced of the overflowing grace that you offer. Father, if there's anyone here that hasn't experienced that grace, And they feel the weight of their sin. Lord, through this message, we just ask that they would come to you. They would repent of their sin. And they would experience overflowing grace. Father, help us to grasp the cross. Let it change us. Lord, help us to be gentle with those that are still trapped in bondage of sin. Help us to love them. Help us to share the truth of your word with them. We thank you for your goodness. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So look at 1 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 12. 
See, sometimes when we read a book, we forget that God is using a broken person to pin the scripture. We saw that Peter's life. Man, Peter just got into a lot of trouble early on, and he he's what some call the apostle with the foot-shaped mouth. He was always putting his foot in his mouth. He said things. He walked with Jesus, and then he denied Jesus three times. The Christ that he walked with, he denied him, and we saw that, and we saw what God did in Peter, how he changed him around. And so now what we're going to see is we're going to see Paul. See, a lot of times when we read Paul, we just think this amazing super saint. He's done amazing things. God used him. But we forget what God saved him from. And we forget that the Lord is the one that changed his life. It wasn't Paul's decision. It wasn't as if Paul said, you know what, I think I'm just going to go a different, different way. There was an interaction of Jesus and Paul that came together and it radically transformed Paul. And so as we're reading 1 Timothy, we think, man, this guy's awesome. Paul's just on top of the world. We read book after book that God used him to pen. But we forget this is a broken man. And so as we read this, I hope that you're encouraged knowing that if you're here, you think, man, I just, I, I just don't measure up. Man, you're in the right place. Because it's by grace that we've been saved, not by works. It's, it's not based on our righteousness. And I know it's, sometimes it's hard for us to remember that. But we just have to remember it's overflowing grace. That's what changes us. God does amazing things. So let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 12. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overwhelmed me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is a trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Now here's what we want to see. We want to, talk, we want to find out what is this that Paul is talking about, that he was this blasphemer, this persecutor, one who ignorantly did not believe. So if you will, turn with me to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. We've got to find out what Paul's talking about. Starting in verse 1. So here's what's happening. 
Verse 1, there's a little bit of a, there's some tension right now in the church. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, just so you know, Hellenists are Greek-speaking Jews, arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to the prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, so remember that name, Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, a prostite of Antioch. Moms, just so you know, there's some good names if you want to name your kids there. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. Verse 7, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders, signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and the Cyrenians of the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes. And they, became, they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set, him, they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. So here's what happened is that God is using Stephen to do these amazing things. The opposition grabs Stephen and brings him before these religious men and says some lies about him. Look at Acts 7, verse 1. And the high priest said, Are these things so? And Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to you, or appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran, and said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. Now it goes on, and Stephen lays out all of this history in front of these religious men. Okay? Look at how, skip down to verse 51 on Acts chapter 7. So look how it finishes up. So Stephen just got done giving all this history to these men who know the history. And here's how he finishes up. He, he really tiptoes around at the very end. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which the prophets did your fathers, which, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? 
And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Okay, so Stephen finishes up by really just letting them have it and saying, you know what? You guys are wrong. You are a stiff-necked, uncircumcised in heart people. You're resisting the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 54. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged. And they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out in a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out into the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Okay, so this young man named Saul ends up changing his name, or God changes his name to Paul. So the one that is writing in 1 Timothy, Paul, his old name was Saul. Now, a lot of times we read over this and we think, okay, you know, that was a bad deal. But I do want you to have this picture in your mind. Think about this. These men were enraged. They grab Stephen. They pull him over. They throw him down. They all go look for stones. They grab big stones. And then they chuck them at this man who is getting hit with stone after stone after stone. I don't know if you've ever seen something so violent. I mean, on, on the news, sometimes there's a clip of just hor- the horrendous evil. And, and you go away thinking, man, that, I just feel gross that I even saw that. I mean, if you think back to some of the things in the 90s of the riots, I don't know if you remember, there's this, there was this guy that got pulled out of a truck and someone came with this big old huge cinder block and chucked it at him. And you see, man... Th- they're so violent. How could people be so violent? So when we read over this, think about this. There's men and they're stoning someone to death. And then Saul is standing there. He's watching it. They lay their clothes at his feet and he is approving of what's happening. Someone is getting murdered right in front of him. And Saul, who's Paul, says, I'm all for it. You think about the hatred that would be in Saul's heart. Here is a religious man who doesn't know Jesus. Man, he knows, he knows about religion, but he doesn't know about love. He doesn't know the creator of love. And so here's this person, Stephen, being used by God, and this whole crowd is getting stirred up, and they're murdering someone, and, and Paul was sitting there, approving of this. Look at verse 59, Acts chapter 7. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, He fell asleep. That's another term for he died. Look at Acts 8, verse 1. 
and Saul approved of his execution. So here's the great Saul, the one who God will use so greatly. God is doing amazing things in the church. The Bible says that people are coming to Christ. Things are happening. But man, is there opposition. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made their lamentations over him. But Saul was ravaging the church. And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So think about this. Saul is so focused on it that he comes in, he's ravaging the church. He like will kick the door open and then pull out men and women, dragging them to prison. I mean, this is Saul. This, there's so much hatred. There's so much animosity in this man's heart against Jesus that he's approving the execution of Stephen and then he's going into homes and dragging men and women out off to prison. I mean, imagine that you, imagine that you're a little child and some guy comes in my name is Saul and he goes and he grabs your mom by her hair and he drags her out and he drags her to prison all because she loves Jesus. I mean, it's violent. We forget that how violent this was. This man was a very evil person. And so sometimes in our minds when we see someone that's so evil, we think, man, there's no hope for that person. Well, here's the thing. There is hope for that person because it doesn't depend on that person's goodness. It depends on the goodness of the creator. It's all on Jesus. And so here's this horrible human being that is a slave to sin that is going against God's church. But God has a plan. God has a plan. Look at Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 1. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue at Damascus, so that, he, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So here's Saul. He's just seething with murder and angry and hatred towards the people of God. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Have you ever felt that? Is there anyone in here in this room that had this encounter and you knew that the Lord was stopping you in your tracks of sin? You were headed one direction and then somehow something happened and, you, and God got a hold of your heart. Verse 5, he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, 
hearing the voice, but seeing no one, Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at, this, at Damascus named Ananias. This is awesome. There's this follower of Jesus. And he's going to be used by God. It says, the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. Man, if God, if God shares in your heart to do something, he speaks your name. I've got something for you to do. And you say, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. Here's the thing, saint. If you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are chosen by God. You're a chosen instrument, and he has something for you to do. I mean, it doesn't, doesn't matter if how old you are, how young you are. If you've been chosen by God, he has something for you. For you. Verse 16 For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hand on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. And taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for the purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? Does someone say that about you when you got saved? Isn't that the man who used to do this? Isn't she the one that in high school was like this? And you're saying that she's changed, that he's changed? What happened? You had a Damascus Road interaction and Jesus changed your life. And you're not the same. You're different. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Say, it does not matter in this world how wicked someone is. 
if you can get them to come to Christ, as in you introduce them to Christ, Christ does a miracle, that person will be changed forever. Because it does not depend on our righteousness, it depends on the righteousness of the creator of the heavens and the earth. The one who came to this earth, who died on a cross, who demonstrated that he has the power over all sin and death to be able to forgive it. And so looking back at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, as we read this over, think, wait a minute. I get what this man is saying, how he is the foremost of sinners. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of the Lord overflowed for, for me with the faith and love that is in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of all full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Do you believe that? Because if there's anybody in your life that you think, man, God could not save them, I would challenge you, he can save them. He can do it. Because he did it for us. He did it for Paul. He did it for Peter. He did it for Mary Magdalene. He's still working. But I received mercy for this reason. Think about this. He's saying, I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as in the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Saying, here's the thing, is that you are God's example to a dying world at what God can do. We don't have to be ashamed about who we are. He saved us. He, you are the example at the office. You're an example at the school. You're the example you're the one who stands there and someone says, wait a minute, I knew you in high school. What happened? Or I knew you three weeks ago. What happened? And what you're going to say is Jesus happened. That's what happens. When Jesus changes someone, that's what happens. 